Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Helen. And I'm Stephen. And this is the, uh, not an emergency podcast, but still a New Statesman podcast. It still feels a bit like an emergency though, Stephen. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it it raises an interesting philosophical question. If we're having a podcast in our usual slot, but we'd be having an emergency one if it wasn't our usual slot, is it an emergency or a regular podcast? It's a metaphysical question in many ways. It is a question also that uh, reminds me of my mood right now and brought to you by Toby from the West Wing. There's literally no one in the world that I don't hate right now. <laughs> I've been I've been rewatching The West Wing because I like what I like to do is watch people run a functional government uh, and I can only get that from The West Wing at the moment and uh, yeah I'm feeling a lot more Toby than I am Josh at the well, moment. Well, we will still be feeling the firm grip of Theresa May's government, who I suspect will be highly functional. Yeah, well, yeah, I think so because from everything that I've heard about her, she is you know uh, pays a lot of attention to detail. But the question about that is, is can that tip too far in a Gordon Brown style, overly controlling? I mean, one of the things that's under-recognised about Cameron is his ability and sometimes over-willingness to delegate, right? So, which backfired when Andrew Lansley came back with an NHS reform bill that no one understood. But nonetheless showed that he, was, he wasn't going to be a micromanaging prime minister. I think that might be slightly different in Theresa May's case, but nonetheless, she's certainly got competence on her side. Yeah, I mean, Margaret Thatcher uh, micromanaged a great deal of, of things in her early years as PM, and, um, you know, she was there for an awfully long time, and you do look at Theresa May and fear, and although they're very, very different politicians, you do fear that she similarly will be there for a a long time. Yeah, I've just written a piece of the New York Times, which I'm merely mentioning because I'm super excited. I know you shouldn't be all like, American publications are like grown-up publications, but nonetheless, it's probably got a comma in the headline when it's online. It's probably like, after Brexit, comma, a leader emerges or something like that. But anyway... That feels far too interesting. It was really like, after national plebiscite, <laughs> parliamentary leader emerges. <laughs> but um, anyway, the point about that was that the bit of line that got cut, which is something that I feel quite strongly, is that by being so tough and hardline on immigration, Theresa May has bought herself the kind of latitude with the rest of the party to say some things that will sound at least um, socially liberal. Yeah, and, and she is doing the uh, the thing that, uh, that George W. Bush did very well when he was running for president the first time, which is he she who gets a lot of credit because she, you know so Clinton said in one of his phone calls to Blair the problem is is Bush is doing well because he has criticised the right one time, 
and that nasty party party speech, that attack on the police, it, and also the fact she's running against, was running against Andrea Leadsom means that she has been able to present herself as the salvation in many ways of, uh, you know. Can I just say that when you said Clinton, I was sort of, I did a momentary take back when you said his after it. And isn't that like, isn't that, doesn't that make you happy that now when you say like Clinton said, you expect the next bit is going to be her. That makes me happy. Yeah, that is kind of. Plus another vote for the Stephen Oracular Spectacular, which is that you said on this podcast, I think a couple of months ago, yeah, Bernie will like moan and whinge and everything. But essentially he's always voted with the Democrats and he will endorse Hillary Clinton. Lo and behold, what happened? He endorsed Hillary Clinton. They appeared on a stage together. He's thrown his backing behind it. I spent some happy times in some Bernie Sanders uh, support groups where they say that, no, you know, filthy scum. He's betrayed everything. I hope he doesn't mind having the blood on his hands. So they're not taking it well. But most, I think, most left-wing American voters probably will take it quite well. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the interesting things about the American primary cycle is, and by interesting I mean bad, is I, I think... The, there was a, there was a tiny core of Hillary supporters which didn't want to support Obama, but it was a tiny core. But because we hadn't got to this stage where people had decided Twitter was representative of anything, really, um, it, it kind of got a couple of interesting write-ups in a, oh, here are these strange women who think... And then, partly, I think, because most of the Bernie diehards were, were male, I think that did contribute. To, but, but the level of ink when Susan Sarandon being like, Oh, I'm not sure which way I'll vote. I mean, she lives in... Oh, God, I can't remember if she lives in New York or California. But she lives in a state which, to be honest, if Hillary is, if Hillary yeah, is worried about... they weighing the, that they, vote. Yeah, they, 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 have got, they have got bigger problems if, if, if Clinton is not going to beat Trump in those But also that you states. would sort of say that in any way you were a, a leftist. You're so leftist, you're going to vote for the guy who wants to build a wall to keep out Mexicans, who wants to immediately ban Muslims from entering the country, who says he's going to take on the banks in some nebulous way and, you know, definitely stand up to Iran. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, some neocon foreign policies that sort of mash this strange mash of policies yeah. which brings us neatly to the support that still lingers for jeremy corbyn as labor leader well i mean he doesn't want to build a wall to keep out mexicans admittedly that's a less of a problem in say stevenage than it is in uh, in arizona but i think as an interesting polarization kind of thing that has happened which is what you said last podcast really struck me about the idea about, you know, whatever we think the interpretation of the rules was, yes, it's probably fair that he should be on the ballot, as has now happened. But it was also, when those rules were written, it was intended that you wouldn't cling on after a no-confidence vote. The rules were specifically written in the way that the leadership contest was set up with needing to get MPs' nominations and then going to the party, and that process at the end, which is that you need to command both the confidence of the party and your parliamentary colleagues. And that's what I find fascinating is the idea that that having a movement in the country is more important than having support in your parliamentary party i mean yeah because the interesting thing is yeah as i as i said and i don't want to bore our listeners but as i've said repeatedly it's kind of the perennial argument within the labor party uh they've effectively had this uh this has been their ongoing argument since 1907 a year after Labour MPs were first elected to the Commons, where they effectively had a conference arguing about well, whether were those MPs delegates or representatives, and on that side, on that day, the MPs as representatives rather than delegates uh, won out. There was another version of that fight again in the 1950s. Um, 
there's a bit in Dennis Healy's memoir in which he talks about his PLP asking in what way he'd voted on whether or not to take the whip away from Nye Bevan, who was very popular with the activists. And he flatly said, well, it's none of your business how I voted. I'm the MP. And of course, Labour, Labour's parliamentary tradition won the argument in, and, and the fight in 1950. And again, they had that battle basically throughout the 70s, but obviously most famously and sort of iconically in the 80s. And again, the parliamentary tradition won that argument in the 80s. It now, I mean, the parliamentary tradition was dealt a severe blow last night. It remains to be seen whether it is a fatal one for that argument for where power emanates and where it ought to reside in the structures of the Labour Party. I think the interesting thing is, in all of the other times, and obviously it's not the only reason why Labour uh, why, why Labour uh, MPs and the kind of 30 to 40% of Labour members that support the PLP uh, lost the argument. The main reason they lost the argument is they didn't have the unions. And I think there is an interesting uh, thing to be read into why and how uh, the Labour rebels ended up getting all the way to the NEC meeting without having the unions without on their side. Without having the unions on side. Well, but, um, but I also think it is interesting that None of the dissident, uh, the prominent dissident MPs, you know, the people who have been organising uh, to get rid of him in this, are really making the eloqu- the argument for their right to decide as MPs from uh, from a, a basis of of mm. principle. It's a real, and it, it, I I think that is part of why. They have lost. Um, yeah, I think there's a, a, a definite, unfortunate kind of almost arrogance on the Labour right that they this is a very good leadership election to sit out. They want to let somebody from the soft left go in and get slaughtered and then, or, you know, win a surprising victory and then they will kind of come in, you know, when the party's back together again. I think there's a sort of feeling where, you know, they've got to have their kinnock and then I can turn up and be their Blair. And the trouble is that that is a, an astonishingly complacent view that you that, that that the bit you know that bridging bit happens without you ever bothering to have to actually do the fighting yourself you can kind of let someone else do that for you yeah i think that is part of the problem i mean also to be fair there are lots of mps who at the start of this no con vote were saying this is a mistake we've gone too early i have no idea what my colleagues are thinking but who who have become fairly prominent backers for Eagle because they kind of feel like, you know... It's happened now. It's happened. Well, well that's, I think, really important the... because even though I've been talked to people who, you know, are what you'd think of as more loyal to Corbyn and there is a faction who think that they don't like the Eagle candidacy. They think that she's being run by Peter Mandelson, say, or, you know, other people from the Labour right, Labour's past, but also acknowledge that they don't think Corbyn should stay. And that's a very difficult... Those people aren't getting a lot of representation, really. It's being kind of presented as a, a battle between people who will die in a ditch for Corbyn and people who would happily stick a bayonet in him. And not there's there's quite a lot of Labour MPs who fall into a middle ground between those two, I think. Yeah, because I think that um, one of the aspects, and I think the press is to blame for this, partly, I actually also think Corbyn's people have done a good job of presenting it in, a, in that diametric way because obviously it's a dividing line which works very well for them whereas the dividing lines that both Eagle and Smith are drawing I mean 
Well, the trouble is honest, the competence like one only really works if you um, if you follow politics absolutely obsessively. I mean, I spend a lot of time now trying to understand what's kind of being talked about in pro-Corbyn Facebook groups because I think that's where a lot of the, you know, organising action is happening. And people will say, you know, well, we won the London mayoralty, we won the Bristol mayoralty, we held the by-election in Tooting, we, um, you know, we've, we've made gains in play. You can't say that this man is an electoral failure. And you go into a very technical explanation about the fact that actually they made fewer gains than you would hope in some places I, I mean I think you were quite of the opinion that actually the Sadiq's victory was partly attributable to higher turnout because of Corbyn enthused Londoners well and also like yeah the places he did best were so the places where 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 Corbyn does well and this is you know something we've talked about before with the split and this weird way than the bit and the 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 Labour basic the, the bit of Labour's coalition which likes Jeremy Corbyn is uh, urban, big cities, places with large numbers of graduates and public sector employees. So the places where, where Jeremy is an electoral asset to Labour, uh, Norwich, Crawley, Bristol, um, and actually you look at the places in London where Sadiq did best and effectively the places which made the difference. I mean, obviously he had he had such a big lead and, you know, obviously Sadiq can take credit for, 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 a, lot for, of that for a, lot, a lot of that as well. But... Yeah, a lot of people were talking about how Sadiq Khan showed how a different type of Labour could win. Actually, yeah. it didn't really. That... There needs to be a more sophisticated argument about the fact that... I, I mean, I think I thought it was really notable that um, Jeremy Corbyn put out a video within about an hour, I think, of the um, the NEC meeting. Now, he hadn't done anything to sort of um, to mark Theresa May... You know, there wasn't a big interview mm. to mark Theresa May taking over on Monday or David Cameron stepping down. But, you know, that was straight... He was straight in with that. Then he went on to a rally, which, you know, people were euphoric. They were loving it. Um, and and I saw a tweet that said, you know, I saw several tweets that said, you know, he has never looked more happy or more engaged. And I thought, well, that's true because this is, this is, this is, I mean, you talk about people going back to their comfort zones. This is absolutely his comfort zone, which is fighting against what he sees as the Blairites or the Labour right. You know, this is the battle that he's predominantly been interested in for quite a long time. Yeah, and I think, one of the, I mean, there are many, many reasons why Corbyn's internal critics have failed to stop him, uh, both now and over the last nine months, and why they failed to see him. But one of them is that they've never really understood Corbyn. Because, so, so John McDonnell has described the plotters as effing useless, um, which in some ways is true in that they failed. However, if you successfully deliver an 80% no confidence vote in your leader, and basically the whole shadow cabinet resigns. I mean, like, this is the thing, it's like... Short you, of actually like, killing like, him, I'm not sure what they could have done more. Like, this, yeah, this is things like, basically, there is no other leader of the Labour Party who would have stayed in. But where they were useless is that... Was, is that his internal critics still don't understand that Jeremy has a very different set of uh, incentives, that he sees the horizons for a left-wing victory as being much, much longer term than uh, than they do and then to be honest as as you know as as as, as is now sort of a, a a fairly a matter which has been aired fairly publicly between people who were in that meeting between owen smith kate green lisa nandy john mcdonald and, and who is willing to split the party in order to well yeah let's catch want. people up on that because i think that was a really interesting the way that that played out uh, so a group of soft left MPs ones who had hung on in the shadow cabinet but beyond the first initial wave of resignations go to see Jeremy Corbyn and John McDonnell the shadow chancellor 
In their telling of it, Jeremy Corbyn says pretty much nothing, just listens to them. John Mac- and then they say, are you willing for the party to split? And John McDonnell says, yes. So I think Owen, I think it was originally yeah, that's Owen. that's what it takes. It, that, yeah, I think it was Owen Smith who originally said this um, on Twitter. And then John McDonnell replied to him on Twitter in a sort of spectacular bit of dirty laundry airing saying, that's not what happened. At which point, Kate Green, who I've met and talked about women's stuff, because that's what, where she was before, is, you know, very sensible straight down. No one's idea of a kind of Blairite plotter says, well, no, look, John, I was in that meeting too. And that is what you say. So you've basically got a situation where either you believe that a couple of prominent Labour MPs who are in the shadow cabinet are lying or the shadow chancellor is lying, and ha- all of this is playing out in public. I mean, that to me says this is not a party that can be sewn back together. For all that Jeremy Corbyn's interview on the Andrew Marr program at the weekend was like, you know, I urge people to come and talk to me and kind of, you know, well, I'll welcome them back into the fold. It just doesn't It doesn't feel like there is any way to sew this, this Frankenstein's monster back together again. I mean, the thing is, is this is why... The problem with the argument about whether or not your members or your MPs are ultimately sovereign falls down is although the argument for both is equally theoretically strong in practice right yeah like it's a bit like i mean and actually the labor right again only have themselves to blame for backsliding on this argument you know this nonsense thing they have going about oh well, conference policy is to support trident no no no. You, you you will never have a situation in which someone becomes an mp reaches a view about the efficacy or otherwise of britain's nuclear deterrent um so, I mean, in my view, particularly post-Brexit, the argument for maintaining um, Trident just feels very weak indeed. But the idea that if I'm a Labour MP or, or any of the Labour MPs feel that they're against Trident, they get a conference motion and they go, oh, well, OK, now I've changed my mind on an issue of peace or war. It's obviously for the birds. It's but obviously how do you do that? nonsense. Because Kezia Dugdale is, has to espouse the Scottish Labour position, which is against Trident, despite herself being pro-Trident. But the problem is... So like, you've got a mirror image between her and Jeremy Corbyn. But the problem is that she shouldn't have done that. I mean, that this is this is what I mean about how, like, the, the Labour right or the centre-lefts or, or whatever, you know, you know, the artists formerly known as the moderates... Um, but I blame left-wing politics and its, its hatred of hierarchy and this idea that the best thing you can possibly have is direct democracy because actually you can't run a, an organisational structure if everybody has to make, be heard all the time. In the same way you can't have, we have representative democracy because you can't have a referendum on every damn thing because most people just haven't got time, let alone the expertise or the interest in it. Can we move to something else I need to really get off my chest? We have a lot of questions about who is going to be allowed to vote in the leadership election. So I'm going to tell you what I understand is the right thing and you can butt in if you if you know better than me so after the initial vote at uh the nec the national executive committee yesterday about corbyn being on the ballot paper which he won by four votes uh he wasn't actually he didn't actually vote on that himself did he they they made him go out of the room for that no 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 so they made him go out of the room to vote on whether or not they would have a secret ballot and they did have a secret ballot. he was in the room for them voting on having the secret ballot yeah they which passed. Out, which passed. They made him go out of the room to discuss it. Yeah. Okay. But not to vote on it. But he he did vote on whether or not he should be on the ballot, and presumably he was firmly of the opinion that he should. But as you say, the other interesting point is that the unions, who all came as delegates from their unions representing their unions' position, also wanted him to stay. So actually, the secret ballot is a bit of a fiction because you can kind of probably quite easily work out who voted what way. Well, well, I mean that's the, this is this is the interesting thing. I mean. To be honest, I would not be out of this world astonished if 
one of the of the um uh, one of yeah one of unison or someone from the gmb privately was like actually because i mean because one of the and actually i mean it's in, in a way it's part of you know the, the general secretaries have got a better idea of where the internal politics of the labor party are than a lot of people in the plp it is yeah, the, the number of trade union leaders who are actually pro Corbyn mm. is fairly small. Within the uh, within the affiliates, it is only the firefighters, the communication workers union, the the TSSA, uh, as um, uh, you know, ASLEP, which doesn't have a representative on the you know, and the yeah. so Unite are in this more nuanced position. Uh, the GMB have been publicly fairly critical and privately uh, many of them still are. Uh, Ditto uh, Unison, obviously Dave Prentice has said a lot of uh, unflattering things and there are still very bruised feelings about uh, John McDonald's uh, support of Dave Prentice's more left-wing rival. I would be be astonished if within all of those groups there wasn't one of them who went it's a secret ballot, I don't think he's competent enough actually, you can't go on with 80% of your MPs. Mm. Equally, I wouldn't be astonished if within the um, the kind of Corbyn sceptic caucus, because it is actually more accurate to see it as Corbyn sceptic and, and you know, as loyalists and rebels than left and right at this point. Yeah, I think we Partly because should... that's one of the other problems the Corbyn sceptics have. Yeah. That, like, in some ways, you're like, oh, well, they've united 172 members of the PLP. They've united 30% of the membership. This is what I but can't. But the problem is, they, those handle. people don't agree on anything else. This is what I. But I can, this um, is what I can't handle this summer is the concept that it's going to be fought as either Owen Smith or Angela Eagle versus Jeremy Corbyn, and this is a contest between the left and you know the centre left, when actually the policy differences between. Angela Eagle. You know, Angela Eagle has is has been regarded as being on the soft left of the party for a long time, and to frame it that way is just seems to me to be. I mean, it, I think it will happen, right? It will be. It, it, I certainly see the word Blairite used an enormous amount by Corbyn supporters. That is, that is the kind of word for person in the Labour Party whose views I don't agree with. But to call Andrew Eagle a Blairite, it seems to me to be, a, you know, a mad misreading of her politics. But I mean, it's kind of the mirror image of the word moderate, isn't it? Right. In the because I think what I think the leadership election will reveal is that there are because when 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 Corbyn critics use the word. Blairites, consciously or subconsciously, what they're aiming to suggest is a fringe group, 4.5% of the vote that Liz Kendall got, of the past, etc., etc. And what Corbyn's critics are trying to do when they use the word moderate is to suggest, well, you know, moderate, mainstream, mm-hmm. actually this is what the real Labour Party is, etc., etc. What the leadership election will show is that there are many more Blairites than that term would suggest, but far fewer moderates than than that term would suggest. And one of the things I think will be interesting, whichever one of Angela Eagle or Owen Smith uh, does emerge uh, to be the, the candidate, is that the coalition that they are running on is impossibly broad, right? Like, it, it just doesn't agree on, on, on very much. Uh, it doesn't have a lot of unifying. And although actually there is a fairly big policy gulf between a lot of people who are voting for Jeremy and Jeremy Corbyn's actual, yeah, on Europe most most visibly, it kind of doesn't matter. He's done a very successful job of uh, of building that coalition. All of his, his parliamentary backers are on the same page as him. I mean, this is the thing, is like, what is going to happen the second that 
you know, the issues that I see as inevitable will come up. Immigration. I yeah, mean, freedom of movement. Freedom I mean, of movement. John like, McDonough's tried to come up with this. It, there's a progressive case for limiting freedom of movement. As is Owen Smith. But the interesting thing is, like, I mean, because the interesting thing is, is so EU, EU membership was always a unity position for the leadership. To be honest, the, the, the idea that they're going to reconcile with Labour's um, diehard pro-European MPs now is, is nonsense. Mm. It's not going to happen. However, the membership is still really pro-European. So I imagine that Jeremy will run on a more pro-European platform than he did last time. When last time he He's certainly not going to be talking about coming out of NATO and cut and, like, and actually, you know. Um, but I think he will actually probably deal with that more astutely. Whereas, I mean, ignoring the, my many, many, I mean, as a policy, you, know, you can't just chuck the word progressive on front of ending free movement and have that actually mean something. Uh, but I think this is, again, this is something else that the, the opponents of Corbyn haven't grappled with, is that he and his supporters are really, really good at coming up with dividing lines within Labour and hammering those memes home, right? So how many times have you heard stuff like uh, they abstained on the welfare bill? You know, and then you can go into a very boring technical discussion about what a second reading means of a bill and what amendments might be put down and how you, you know, work on legislation as it passes through Parliament. But that's it. That's, you know, that's you're just going to hear that until the end of time. Ditto voting for the Iraq war, which I think is another one. You know, we, Tony Blair was reelected in 2005 after, you know, after promoting the Iraq war. Lots of people now think that they were against the Iraq war who were not against it at the time. And also, you know, Labour... You know, there was a people, you know, people voted, Labour MPs voted in favour of the war because it was the party whip. There are some people for whom that, you know, that is an enormously important thing. And that I, but I just think that you, you, those memes are so good. <laughs> like, they're just a lot better than anything I hear from the other side of this argument. Yeah, I mean, but I think also equally, like, abstaining on the second reading was a, yeah, a massive mistake um partly because i think the thing is it's like yes if, you, if there are bits of it you don't want to oppose fair enough and you want to lay down amendments the unfortunate thing is that's not quite rightly that is not um a message that anyone normal understands no um but then and neither obviously is the... the iraq war was a disaster so yeah. i mean but then I... neither is the fact that it doesn't matter anyway the whole point is if you really oppose conservative welfare plans the one thing that you should want is a labor government right Ultimately, it didn't matter how many Labour MPs rebelled and voted against conservative against those those welfare changes because it didn't because they got an overall majority anyway. This yeah, is... I mean, but that is also true. However, the problem is is dividing line is certain electability is certainly a dividing line between Jeremy Corbyn and Theresa May. I'm sorry, I know that will upset a lot of our listeners, but you simply cannot make a cephalogical or mathematical case than Jeremy Corbyn. Even you know, even if you know every MP was behind him singing singing Hallelujah, is on an electoral trajectory to be anything other than smashed. However, you cannot make a persuasive case that that Angela Regal is going to defeat Theresa May, that Owen Smith is going to defeat Theresa May. So it's effectively a dividing like if your dividing line is I look like Labour's next prime minister, he doesn't, and you don't look like Neighbors Labour's next prime, prime minister. minister. Yeah. What is your dividing line? Yeah, and um, you know, I will be the the candidate that allows us to do slightly less badly while we think about what we're for, and then next time we might win. Well, it's not going to fit on a banner. You have to have a pretty big banner and some good sewing skills for that. Because that is actually, in an odd way, the 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 unspoken 
continuity between both sides of Labour's uh, divide. I mean, none of them expect to win the next election. On both sides, you know, there'll be the odd Corbyn, Corbyn staffer who will say to you, oh, you know, if there's a big recession, Brexit, we could win. And they'll ditto be people go like, oh, Angela's not that great, but, you know, if there's a recession, she's good enough to win, right? That is a fairly mainstream view on, among optimistic aides and MPs on both sides. But the unspoken thing is, we'll either we'll lose under Corbyn, we'll move the debate slightly to the left, um, which, I mean, you know, TBH, I'm not really convinced it is a big victory for the left if every press release about cuts has the word progressive in there somewhere, but your mileage may vary. Uh, and then the unspoken thing from Corbyn Skeptic is we'll lose, get 220 seats, and then hopefully one of our younger people, you know, I mean, in terms of their time in the Commons, obviously Keir Starmer is not that young, but he's a younger MP. Fresher, well. yeah. Yeah, fresher people, yeah. Your Keir Starmer's, your Lisa Nandy's. Uh, your clavist, maybe, maybe they will have proven themselves in a shadow brief, and then they can they can be our Cameron. Yeah, in the same way that you know Howard came in and lost, and then mm. they. The problem is, is one of them is basically saying, "We'll lose, but you'll have a good time." Right, and you'll feel good about yourself. And one of them saying, and "You won't have to make any compromises. Yeah. You won't have to say, well, actually, you know, a huge amount of voters, including lots of people on benefits, really hate people on benefits, and we might have to have some kind of offer that appeals to them." You know, you you don't have to do any of that. It's it's all blissfully that you can ignore that and, and just say no money and, for everyone. And I think things and Labour's pre-Corbyn problems are. I mean, I kind of think in, in many ways, Labour and Corbyn. It, it's it's you know, it's it, it may be the complication which ultimately kills uh, Labour, but it but the disease is much more severe mm. and much more longer lasting. That I mean, you know, for example, how are they going to get elderly people to vote for them? I mean. The state already pays a dis- you know, you know the, the balance of the state is already stacked unfairly in favour of the old. It's very difficult to see what Labour can offer and indeed should offer on immigration. Again, you know, if you if you limit immigration, one, you know, there are lots of cultural issues, but it also nukes your economy. So Labour can't doesn't really have anywhere to go on that. Um, you the know, thing about it is, I just they have to win Kensington. I mean, like the situation is is so bad. <laughs> Well, on that note, maybe let's um, maybe let's retire for a sort of just quite a few moments of weeping. Hi, I'm Caroline, and I'm Anna, and together we host the New Statesman's Pop Culture Podcast. Seriously, if this sounds like something you'd be interested in, you can get this episode and everything else we've done on newstatesman.com forward slash srsly. And welcome to a section that's called You Ask Us, where you indeed ask us. You are welcome to send us messages to our email or via Twitter at Stephen KB and at Helen Lewis. The first one I'm going to deal with very quickly, which is someone who asked me, you know, if there are 172 MPs who said no confidence in Jeremy Corbyn, can they just split off and form their own party? Well, there's a whole big discussion to be had, which I think, to be honest, will be had about whether or not you would formally split as a party. There is another suggestion that was proposed by um, Joe Haynes, who used to be a press officer for Harold Wilson. Uh, which is the the sort of the having a different leader in parliament, which is essentially the idea that as MPs you are free they are free to say who the leader of the PLP is. It's just the case that that has always been also the leader of the Labour Party in the country. It's a technically possible solution, or at least a, you know a partial bridge to something new, I guess. But I think at this point I would suggest that a proper full blown split is probably more likely. 
For the second question, this is for you, Stephen. Um, how, if you are not currently a member of the Labour Party or you join within the last six months, do you get a vote in the leadership election? Well, as they say on Facebook, it's complicated. You can either pay £25 within this 48-hour period from the 18th of... 18th and 19th of July, July. right? Yeah, to the 20th, yeah. Now, there has been a lot of misinformation on Twitter about how this happened. It did not happen because all of the pro-Corbyn people left and the anti-Corbyn people voted out. Like, the, what happened was, is that there was a tabled paper... Corbyn left to do his rally, and to be honest, even if he had been there, he would still lost because the trade unions switched yeah. switched their votes. Um, the the uh, oh god, I used the word moderate there. Ugh. Uh, the um, the Corbyn skeptic uh, MPs have long believed, and so I think there are a couple of variables here. One, it is widely accepted across most of the Labour Party, including people who are happy with the result, that the three pound system. So last time, Look, they, they, that's the first time they've ever had the three-pound system. They've eighty-three percent of three-pounders voted for Jeremy Corbyn. So that yeah. wasn't—I mean—that was a group that brought with it endless trouble. You had people from the National Health Action Party join. You had people who had been members of the SWP join, or people who had voted yeah, yeah. green. And you did have Tories. You and you had people Michael Paris's llamas and people signing up their cats. And and it was a huge compliance issue. I think they called it Operation Pickaxe in uh, what was then Labour HQ and Brewers Green. I mean, it was an enormous headache for some—you know—frankly under paid and overworked staffers in order that a lot of people who didn't have that long a connection with the Labour Party could feel involved in the process. Many of them then, some of them then converted to full memberships. A lot of them didn't, given the numbers. And also I think like the 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 the, the swing vote in the, you know, then, yeah, then basically the, the grassroots alliance, which is the left slate on the NEC, still technically had the numbers to not, but the swing vote wasn't when they've been talking to people, CLP chairs and CLP secretaries were being given a thousand names every week that they had to check out and go, oh, they're not known to. Even the ones who were just going, I'm sorry, I simply don't have the time, so I'm just going to give these the blue tick. Yeah, that is not a reasonable workload to put on. Uh, yeah, but there on, have been... Yeah, I mean, I, mean I, I personally think the solution to, to that problem would be to have a ballot in every Labour Party office and just let anyone pay for a pound and actually if you have a big enough electorate the total you know like a llama can't vote and the total number of yeah it, it works itself out in the end i think a better solution is just not to have registered supporters i can't think of any other organization that would let people essentially wander in off the street and for the less than the price of a coffee have a, an, a, a decision which we now know overrules the wishes of the people who work most closely with that leader. I mean, I love the readers of the New Statesman. I, I, you know, I love them. They write letters, a lot of letters this week about whether or not it's possible to have a grandparent born in the 18th century and still be alive. Great stuff. But the idea that you would let the readers of a magazine or the readers of a newspaper elect the new editor and that person would stay even if their senior staff didn't want them there anymore is kind of just, it, 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 it's, it's cracked. So I, I just think that actually... But the, prob- but the problem isn't with the number of people, the problem isn't with the vote, the, like... Yeah, the, yeah. You ought to have a situation in which the the, mem- the members can vote, and then if that person is incapable of building alliances with the parliamentary party, they go, and then those members can change their MPs if they want to. I mean, so that like the problem is that Labour's constitution doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it's a, horrendously that's a continue- badly written. But I am going to continue defending this system, even though everyone else hates it. Yeah, uh, like. 
Um, let's also quickly address the possibility that if so, if you've joined as a member since I think the twelfth of January this year, you do not get uh, on the ballot. There's a lot of debate. I think you and I are probably on different sides of this one about whether or not that's helpful to Corbyn or not. Whether or not the uh, you know more recent sign-ups are are pro him or not. But nonetheless, none of those people are. Although uh, who knows whether or not they're possibly going to be able to keep their money because there seems to be a thing on the website that says you know if you sign up you'll be able to vote in leadership elections. So yeah. you can have a good claim that you've been missold that. There is another way, though, isn't there, which is through the affiliates, which is this third block, which is union members. Not just unions. So it's unions, the Fabian Society, the Society of Labour Lawyers, Scientists for Labour, Black and Minority Ethnic Labour, the SERA, which is something to do with the environment, and I cannot remember what the S, the R, or the A stands for. It's like cats for Brexit, isn't it? Like gerbils for Labour. And I am going to get all of them. Christians on the left. Um... And, oh, there's one more. The Labour Women's Network. I'm getting trouble oh, yeah. when I get home for not knowing that one. Um, the um, And um, and another one. And another one, which uh, we'll keep. We can write in. Yeah. Why not make the... We'll, we know, obviously, oh, yeah. what that one is, as, but we'll... As, as well as the, uh, the various affiliated trade unions. Now, this is where it gets interesting, because for a one, given value of interesting because once again right the thing that a lot of people are already getting angry that BAME Labour has suspended their membership BAME Labour is a voluntary institution this like, is black and minority yeah like yeah like they, yeah they, they don't have a paid a paid member of staff I mean you know the Fabian Society again it's very small they don't have someone like if, if they have a Corbyn surge you're not like if people join them expecting to vote in the leadership election, that ain't going to happen. Those people do not have the time or the staff to to yeah. Like if a hundred people join to vote in the leadership election, those people will be able to vote. Yeah. If a thousand, they'll be. But you know, if you have like the big surges, so really, I mean, so I tried to join on the Unite website this morning just because you know to to see how difficult it is because um, lots of people in Unite and the Philippines. So one of the reasons why the, that that vote happened is they think it's a good opportunity to recruit Union some members. young people. Yeah. You know, get some get some people through their community scheme. Because, so now technically, according to the letter of the rules, um, you're not allowed to sign up new members through your union to vote in the leadership election. It's for existing members who pay the political levy. However, as I have said and said and said. Labour is not a democratic party. It never has been. It never will be. Anyone expecting those rules to be followed to the letter, I mean, I have a bridge to sell you if you think that's going to happen. So the interesting thing is I imagine there will be some joiners through the affiliate section. But the turnout was very low in the affiliate section last year. I mean, comparatively very low. And actually the existing poll of union members that you got did, I think, showed that they were cooler on Corbyn than you might think. I mean, who knows how many of those people would turn out to vote, but they were not fervent believers. My instinct, right, I mean, so... Yeah, I mean, so some people are trying to pour scorn on that poll because people, you know, there are lots of people who always argue with numbers and they don't like. Uh, But the the crucial thing is, is basically, my instinct is the 30% of of Unite members, or roughly over who are pro Jeremy are also, you know, within the eleven percent of Unite members which vote in Unite internal elections. Uh, yeah, they are pretty much all from the thirty yeah. percent. Ditto of the eleven percent that vote in Unite elections, the four percent or whatever it was that voted in Labour's leadership elections. They're all really like this thing. It's like I mean, it is basically the 
the Labour Party's problem with its with its election system, right? In the or actually, yeah, you see this with 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 the uh, with with American primaries, right? The more the more your election looks like the country you're seeking to win, the more likely you are to get someone who that country will go on to vote for. So the reason why the Iowa caucuses on both sides have increasingly tended not to produce a winner is the average person who has time to go to the Iowa caucus is far to the right or far to the left mm -hmm. of where the average Democratic primary voter, let alone mm. the average um, American voter, is. My instinct is, is the thing with these, these rule changes is that if you really want to vote and you go on the Unite website and they're still using Macromedia Flash and yeah, and, and like, and you're and you're like willing to open another browser to start joining, to start to do your thing. I mean, that's Kino behavior. Yeah, like, and my instinct is, is the keener you are, the more likely you are to vote for for Corbyn. Okay, so let's let's go through. So we now think See we've how got... I subtly negged your argument about how it's going to hurt him there. I I guess there's a, probably there's two ways of looking at that. I think there's a case of it's not going to hurt him; it's going to help him less than the alternative would, right? Which is the question about I think it would have been helpful to him had all the new joiners been allowed since January been allowed in because I think they are on balance pro Corbyn. Oh yeah, because I mean, so I've been calling around new joiners, and if you are one, please email because I really really appreciate hearing your your thoughts about you know everything really. Um, but um, the thing is, is actually the the surge is not a Corbyn surge or an anti Corbyn surge. It's a referendum surge. The referendum. Has politicised people. Mm. I think we will see a higher turnout at the general election. Well, twelve thousand people joined the Lib Dems. I mean, yeah. you know, I think, and people, you know, I, when I talked to my mum, she's like, "Well, I'm reading all of the paper now." You know, I think just generally people think, "Wow, this is a big moment. Like stuff yeah. is happening." Um, however, so basically, I would say that the joiners are two thirds have joined because of the European referendum. Uh, however, they are on balance pro the leader of the party because they've joined the party he's leading. Mm. Uh, but they are probably more movable to the right candidate. However, to be frank, I don't think that the right candidate is going to face Corbyn in this contest. Then the remaining third is maybe 5% of that third is uh, is I've joined to stop Corbyn 25. Don't. So, yeah, you're Basically, right. J.K. Rowling's followers. Yeah, so you're, you're right to say that, uh, that, that he will probably win slightly less, I think, partly because... I, well, I feel I rag on Andrew Glenn Owen Smith a lot. This idea. I'm going to say you're going to be so when when our new glorious leader Owen Smith is installed in, in the end of September. Boy, are you going to have egg on your face? Yeah, I'm going to be back in political Siberia. It'll be yeah. very upsetting. But um, this idea that a million people are going to join to vote for Angela Eagle or Owen Smith, no matter how low the price was. I mean, to be honest, I'm not convinced you could give people money. Well, this is the other thing that slightly irritates me is the sort of feeling, you know, Labour's a party of the working class. You know, 25 quid is a lot of money to join. I, I, I do see there is some merit in that argument, but equally well, it was always the case that, you know, when you were a minor, say, you had to pay subs to the union, which were a significant chunk of your salary. The sort of I, I, There is a sort of weird consumerism about people who don't have any other connection to the party. They don't love it. There's a great line in Robert Webb's piece when he wrote about how much he hated commenters, about, you know, those Daily Mail commenters who love Britain so much they live in Gibraltar. And I sort of feel a bit the same about some of the registered supporters. You know, they love the Labour Party so much they can't even be bothered to join the Labour Party. 
And I just, that's, that's just an incoherent howl of rage, basically, which I've probably annoyed like a million people listening to this podcast. I don't mind anyone joining up. I just think that it is entirely up to the Labour Party where it wants to, how much money it thinks it needs to spend in order to make that worth it. And I think some of it is the case that the compliance cost of £3 members is probably more than £3 in costs to do that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's things. I think they did feel that by the time you'd factored in over time, they probably lost money. Uh, and God knows they haven't, they're not raising. I mean, I know I harp on about this all the time. They're not, you know, big donors have said that their pockets are closed now after various things that have happened. Yeah, I mean, I think. So I think there's 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 quite an interesting sort of theological debate, which is, I mean, I remember one one MP, you know, kind of from the Christian Socialist decision saying. Yeah, they were against the Collins Review because they were like, tithes matter, and the idea of coming together and putting, so, yeah, kind of... And so I think that, you know, is... is well, it's a... like the paying for news thing. It's like, you know, you'll know it's one of my number one bugbears where people say, why haven't you reported this story that's happening in Burundi? And you go, well, unfortunately, you know, we can't maintain a huge worldwide bureau of people given the economics of news as it stands. And I think the same thing applies to the Labour Party. I mean, so so this thing is so I I still think that because the the really interesting thing and again with all of this like oh the Blairites is actually yesterday's NEC was a, a defeat for the Blairite idea of what the party should look like in every sense. In the idea is that like the MPs are ultimately sovereign; they control the shortlist, and then you throw that shortlist out to as large a electorate as as possible. Instead, they have a situation in which the MPs don't control the shortlist and there is a huge 25 quid or join a union to then register as an affiliated. Yeah, like the... You know, the, the Either no- in time or money, there is a high yeah, bar. Yeah, there is now a fairly high bar. What we've actually got is this weird kind of like hybrid of what the old right control the membership, pack the room, and the, um, the Benite left drive the room out, manage who's in there, recruit through broadening out to the party's left flank and it's going to be really interesting to see those two cultures which are inimical to each other in terms of their politics but in terms of their operational style are quite different who comes off uh, the worst my instinct is it will be the brown here's right the thing that uh, to finish with Theresa may getting crowned as tory party leader without it having to go to the membership I just thought this morning well, i haven't heard any tory members complaining you know, any ledsamite tory members complaining about this two theories about that one is that they just they're just quite happy we've got another prime minister it's all sorted out and that's what the tory party likes you know they just like winning second thing is maybe there are lots of them who are really sore about it but they're old they're not on facebook they're not forming great you know ledson was robbed groups on facebook and two the right-wing press was so overwhelmingly behind theresa may that they're not getting their opinions aired there either so i think it's a couple of things one as someone who's you know fairly bullish about May's prospects of June, I think what it's revealed is that the YouGov polls, and we know YouGov are very good at polling members, as I think they will show during this Labour leadership race. They she were didn't right. Ha- she didn't have a. She doesn't have a support base in in, in, in yeah in the Conservative Party. She is a candidate of the Tory fringe, uh, and that's part of the thing. And also, so obviously, I chair panels at at all at all of the major parties. Think. Um, and the thing is, when you're chairing or appearing on a panel at a Conservative Party conference and an MP comes in, people are like, ooh, an MP? Ooh, you know, this is going to... Whereas even before Corbyn, right, yeah. an MP comes in and says, oh, who's this person? I'm waiting to be impressed. Yeah. Um, no, there is a difference. Yeah, that there's there just a just... very different attitude towards... But sort of, thank you for letting us vote on that. Okay, we can't vote on it. Oh, well, never mind. Because I think that's the other thing that I think people were underrating about Theresa May's chances. Then even before what's happened... 
you know, if last summer, you know, Andy Burnham had said, I'm the candidate with the largest support from MPs, people were just like, all right, what's that got to do with the price of fish, mate? It, it just is a very different party. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, yeah, because we're in danger of probably losing our three remaining listeners who are probably really angry because they're registered supporters and I've upset them. Um, we should probably draw it to a halt. Who knows when the next emergency podcast will be? Will we do one if Angela Eagle pulls out? Is that, does that cross the emergency podcast bar? Yeah, I think it does. Okay, so stay tuned, people. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast presented by me, Helen Lewis, and produced by Anna Leskovitz. You can find us every week at newstatesman.com forward slash podcast or on iTunes. Our theme music is Devil with the Devil by the Underscore Orchestra, licensed under Creative Commons. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.